Hello, hello, hello. Welcome everybody to episode 119 of the No Normal Show for Thursday, September 2nd, 2021, brought to you by Revive Health. This is our weekly deep dive into how hospital and health system marketers can navigate what we call the No Normal. I am Chris Bevelo, Chief Brand Officer here at Revive Health and your host for the show. I'm joined, as always, by Chase Kleckner, who is Senior Marketing Manager at Revive Health and our show's producer. Hello, Chase. Hi, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I'm very excited that we have Brad Fixler with us. Brad is the Vice President of Marketing for UC Health, Colorado's largest health system. He's been with UC Health for 12 years. Prior to that, he worked in the world of advertising agencies for 18 years. He majored in journalism at Miami University of Ohio, and upon graduation, quickly realized that journalism was no way to treat his future self. That is prescient. So he ended up in advertising and marketing instead. Hey, Brad, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so glad you're here. We will get into uh, a lot of good stuff here in a second. I'm going to hit some notes, as I always do. If you're new to this show, what we do here is share industry trends, research, opinions, stories, whatever we can to help you and your colleagues navigate what I said before is the no normal. If you want to know more about what we mean by the no normal, though I think it's self-explanatory. You can look in the comment section if you're with us live. Chase will post a link to a blog post that kind of explains the no normal and maybe more importantly, some key principles. Uh, we came up with the idea of the no normal last July. Uh, and I feel like Nostradamus because we are still in the no normal and probably will be for quite some time. So very relevant. Uh, what we want to talk about with Brad is... Obviously, it has been a uh, interesting world that we've been living in for the past 18 months now, really is a fair way to put it. And in talking, Brad, with you about what we wanted to kind of dive into, he had a really neat perspective about how you and your colleagues at UC Health have really learned so much about the market and the people that you serve and your patients uh, over the last year and a half, given uh, what we've gone through. So we really kind of want to dive into what does that mean? What does that look like? What are the thing, some of the things that you've learned? Um, so maybe just kind of set things up to start uh, in terms of, because I know uh, from, from watching you guys from afar, from the past, you were awfully diligent about learning about your patients and understanding your market before this. So maybe just kind of give us the context of, of where you were uh, so we can dive in a little deeper. Yeah, you, you bet. And and again, thank you for having me. But um, for all of those who are listening or plan to listen to this, this has um, been a heck of a 18 to 20 months. Great time for a lot of sort of introspection and self-reflection as you're going through the emergencies and chaos of crisis communications and crisis everything. So um, I think that, you know, prior to COVID, you know, probably not unlike a lot of your viewers, you know, we kind of had our way of doing things. And we had our, our, our unique ways of doing things, but then also some basic principles of marketing kind of apply, I think, across the board. And we were enjoying a, uh, a fairly um, steady brand growth in our market. UC Health is a, is a relatively new brand. It's only been around in its current form for about five years, even though the system's been around for about 13 or 14. So, yeah, they, we, we were humming along fine. Um, our our key strategy is to have our patients always do 
the talking for us. So being the system, the size that we are, we certainly have um, an enormous uh, amount of material to work with, meaning just incredible patient stories and incredible people. And so that was always our, our front first face rather than us saying, hey, UC Health says this. We just have our patients do the talking for us, whether it's written communications, digital communications, social media, TV advertising, what have you. But that, you know, that that changed in uh, the period of about a four to six week period in February 2020. Talk about well, first of all, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm always interested to hear how people felt that period, because I think there's some universal ways that we all experience that. So, for example, I've I've, I've we talked about it on the show and I think a lot of people still remember, like, I remember time standing still. There was a week in March where it just felt like it feels like there's been six months in the past five days. Talk a little bit about, you know, that four to six week period where you, you said things changed. Like, what what did that feel like it for yeah. you guys? You know, it was never, I mean, paralysis for us because we didn't have the opportunity to be paralyzed in that environment being a, a health system. But it was a reset of our priorities overnight. Immediately, public were looking more to health systems and hospitals uh, than they were to any other sources. This is over media. This is over uh, government. Um, this is over health departments, rightly or wrongly. And I'd like to think rightly, they were looking to the providers and the scientists for oh, tell us what's going on. Our pivot, which had to be a pivot, was we turned from a marketing department to a marketing department that turned itself into support for our communications department. So we're we're all in the same group, but we're kind of half split, half for comms and half for marketing. And I think that's pretty traditional um, with comms handling crisis, you know, earned media and um, and owned media. I'd say we turned probably 70% of our marketing department individuals into comms folks. So that was a functional change for us, um, but I think the more interesting change was getting insights and deeper insights into um, our patients' mindsets, the public's mindsets, their fear, their stress points, things that as non-frontline workers, it, 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 in, a, in a pre-COVID era, era it's, it's hard to actually get a taste of that. When you're in COVID and the conversations are so dynamic, your social media channels are blowing up, you know, you're changing your operations, Communications in place is obviously a pivotal role, uh, both internally and externally. So it gave us in an interesting, I guess, positive way. It, it forced us to really, really understand what's going on with our patients, not not physically, but but emotionally and from an expectation standpoint. It's so interesting. And that's what I think was really cool when we had our, our conversation about this show. It's just the the idea that, you know, you just, even though we've, we all spend so much time trying to understand the audiences we're targeting uh, and some of us go further than others, it, it is, is in, you know, few and far between where you get the situation. And of course we'd rather not have the situation, right? but to be able to, to really almost be side by side in some ways. I mean, because we're all also dealing with this on an individual yeah. level, uh, I thought one of the things you brought up, Brad, when we talked about what came forward, maybe in a, in a more powerful way than you had experienced or since before, was the impact of health disparities. 
Yeah, I mean, COVID was this rapid and enormous magnifying glass um, on the issue of healthcare delivery and access and the disparities that, that you know, are um, embedded in our culture, unfortunately. And, you know, the whole notion of, of healthcare disparity is not, is not new, but COVID accelerated and magnified it. And I think it was uh, particularly true once you start looking at the demographic data, who's in the ICU, who's on vents, and it's a very high, it's, at least in our case, it was very disproportionate to our underserved populations. And I think that just, again, like magnify, it magnified the, the issue. And so, and this is still ongoing, but in, yeah. and again, it's another silver lining in this is that I think the healthcare industry as a whole and data scientists and those that work on large academic campuses that are trying to get their arms around healthcare disparities and inequity is, is it's become the burning platform without question. I mean, even to the point of as sort of a, a sidebar note, we took that opportunity also to realize, you know, we could probably, we have a high Spanish speaking population where we are. And obviously we have, you know, the language translation services, we've got the various protocols in for people whose uh, uh, first language and only language is Spanish, but we really didn't dig deeply into it from a patient experience standpoint. And, um, you know, from the, the beginning of the journey, meaning everything's fine at home amongst a Spanish speaking family, for example, all the way through, they need us, you know, we deliver care, there's post care, there's follow up communications, the whole spectrum of the patient journey, we'd never really mapped out culturally amongst those populations. And we had for just the generic, you know, women 2554 demo. So yeah. that became our burning platform too. And that's not to say that you know, the, the Spanish speaker speaking population is exactly the disparity that we're talking about, but there are some correlations there. And that wasn't on our plate this year. And it's on our plate now in a big way. It, it's, it's such an important point. And you said this, uh, you know, at the outset of what you were talking about, it's still happening now. And I think we've actually spent a lot of time studying this because we just believe this is this is going to be one of the primary pillars of how we have to show up differently forever moving forward. And to your point, health inequities and health disparities have been around for a long, long time. It's not news. But what what COVID did both to highlight those, but also, unfortunately, to exacerbate them. And one of the things that, that we're looking at is the long term impact of this. So, for example, you know, we found a statistic that said. 2020 life expectancy for white Americans declined 1.2 years as a result of COVID. Like normally it'll bump up and down maybe a month or two in any given year. It went down 1.2 years for whites for black Americans. It went down nearly three years. Yeah. Like so more than double. Right. Or another statistic is, and I, and I, we can find the citations for these, but they're all cited a study that showed for Latinos and Black Americans, it may take them up to 20 years to recover the income lost that they've experienced from 2020, from COVID, right? We have so many people who lost jobs, so many people that, that face financial crisis, but it just hits these populations way harder. Yeah, and it's, it's not going to go away. Yeah, I mean... It, Agreed. I mean, it's it's a uh, in a way, I'm 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 glad that we're being forced to deal with this to practically deal with it, not just talk about it. Yeah. But it's a public health crisis, frankly. And 
you know, it, it's a public health issue. So we've, I mean, at least on our campus where our academic hospital is, and it, it's attached to University of Colorado and the School of Medicine, there is a lot of effort in working with the state of Colorado um, on, on tackling that and developing appropriate and, and culturally relevant strategies. You know, and also kind of just making healthcare accessible to all of our populations. Yeah, that's that's the real bottom line here. That's that's a that's a key thing that all of us, not just the communications guys, are focusing on right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So something else that you brought up that kind of your perspective changed a little was how or where you communicate with folks, so which channels you're using, that kind of thing. Talk a little bit about you know what you've learned and how you might be changing in that regard. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's been interesting from the perspective of, you know, having done the ad agency thing for the first half of my career, you know, you get, you get kind of trained on how it works and this is how you do marketing and this is how you do branding. And these are the steps that you need to follow. And yeah, social media is certainly can be a part of that. You know, various forms of digital communication and media can certainly be a part of that. But for the most part, it's about sort of the concept or, or the message. One of the things that, that we're, quickly became aware of, or at least we knew before, but again, was magnified as the whole Marshall McLuhan, you know, the medium is the message. And in this case, and I always struggled with that line as a marketing guy. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's true. In, in today's day, it's, it's true right now. And so here's a perfect example for us. We've always enjoyed fairly disengagement on the social media channels where we try to engage people. And we try to engage people not as a hospital or a doctor giving advice, but again, try to engage people as just people and as consumers. And so that's why we like to provision really interesting patient stories, um, publish recipes. We, um, we actually contract with the former food editor of the Denver Post, and he writes for us for just that stuff. We have a section where we, you know, talk about the greatest places to visit outdoors in Colorado. So it's, we, we try to have that engagement on that level with COVID and all of the, the, events that's surrounding it, our social media channels just blew up. So where we might have had, you know, say 30,000 Facebook followers within six months, we had, you know, close to 60 or 70, I believe. Um, and, 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 and the same goes with all of the social media, different channels where we communicate. The example I'm thinking of that, that really also goes back to the notion of patient empathy um, was we had one patient um, who was in uh, our pulmonary unit. She was not a COVID patient, but she was an inpatient and she had a lot of sort of coexisting conditions and a relatively young woman, but she was just born with, you know, hereditary conditions. At this point, we were at the height of COVID. We were at the height of kind of lockdown and we had heavy restrictions on visitors of patients to where at one point, like most other hospitals, we had to uh, eliminate all, all visits. Um, for the safety of staff, for the safety of the patient, for the safety of the other patients. So uh, this this patient's husband was very, very upset, understandably, about that. And um, the best way he was able to express himself was through his social media channels. And so um, there's a delicate balance in trying to have conversations publicly that are really highly sensitive, particularly if they deal with PHI and whatnot. But right. you kind of learn a lot, not only about I mean, what this, this man was going through and, and the pain that he was dealing with and the frustration, yet sitting on the, the sort of corporate side, why we have those rules in place and why they're critical and um, really trying to sit in our patients' chairs and, and try to understand, you know, what, what are they feeling and, and how can we best respond? 
So our, our social channels, back to your central question, have become, if I was going to put a number on it, I'd say you know, maybe 20% of our focus and efforts to probably you know, 50. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we do most of our engagement with people on those on channels now. Good, bad, neutral, otherwise. And our policy is we don't not engage. If yeah. it's not appropriate, yeah, we might we might hide something if there's language or an individual's name is called out. But our, our strong policy is we always engage. We're always going to be there, whether you like what we're saying or not. Right, right. Well, those lessons have to be so valuable now because, you know, the example you gave of of having to shut down visitation um, because of COVID. So now we have, and I don't know where you guys are at. You don't have to share if you don't want to, but there are health systems that are uh, requiring vaccines for visitors now. Mm -hmm. uh, there's obviously debates around masks. And so they become far more heated than we had to deal with last year, right? There, there wasn't, even though you certainly had individuals who were frustrated, you didn't see like groups picketing on the street because they couldn't visit patients, right? You see that now with things like vaccine mandates and, and mass mandates. And so I would imagine it's, it's, it's the kind of trial by fire of last year is helping you now as you're managing that wherever you guys are at as an organization. Yeah, I think people are pretty raw right now. And you know what? It's not just COVID. I mean, this thing was the perfect storm of COVID and really, really um, confrontational political spectrum and arenas, you know? So yeah. there's just a lot, a lot going on in the world all at once and, and, and big things, right? And so we do see that. We see, and you see it in other industries too. I mean, you see flight attendants getting um, yelled at, attacked, what have you. I think every industry is probably experiencing people's nerves are frayed. And when you put them in a hospital environment today, that's a stressful situation to begin with. Yeah. So, I mean, flying a plane, usually if you're comfortable flying, isn't that stressful? You're just going from point A to point B. But if you're at the hospital, um, it's probably not a good, you're probably not happy about it. Um, so you combine that with raw nerves, frayed stress. Um, yeah, you get a lot. We see a lot more reaction than we did before. And yeah. um, obviously our nurses and leadership and security is very aware of that. Um, and we're putting strategies in place to help try to mitigate some of that. We do not currently mandate uh, vaccines for visitors, but we do mandate masks throughout all of our facilities. And even that, which doesn't seem like that would be that big of a request in a hospital, um, right. sometimes it is. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I've done some volunteering before on some of our units, just because they're so overworked, there's a nursing shortage. And by the way, this is non-clinical volunteering. So I'm like delivering blankets <laughs> and carrying out food trays. Don't get that right, right, right. But um, yeah, I get a witness firsthand how patients sometimes react to nurses' requests. And it's it's sometimes scary, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's I hope that we get past this um, relatively quickly. And I hope, again, silver lining guy, but I hope this sort of trains us as a culture, at least in this country, to be able to deal with stressful situations without necessarily having to negatively react to them all the time. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Another thing you brought up and you can, you can decide how much you want to get into this is being based in Colorado. You guys are facing something that I don't know that other States have really faced. And that's some unique legislation uh, that's been going on over the course of this time unrelated, I think to COVID, but also 
it's in some ways hard to kind of separate from what you're having to deal with. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how yeah. that's kind of influenced how you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I can top line this and I'll try not to make it be political in any way. Um, but just to set the stage, uh, Colorado currently has um, a democratically controlled House, Senate and executive branch. So you can just read into that what, what you will. And prior to COVID, legislation was being crafted of what was being euphemistically called the public option. So that was basically, and it was an effort to get healthcare costs in the state of Colorado down. And I won't go into the particulars of the public option other than original drafts relied heavily on providers and hospitals to get to reduce the costs, but really no other part of the healthcare pie. So it was a, it was a heavy burden on hospitals and doctors here. That got put on hold when COVID hit and it sort of fell off the radar. And the interesting juxtaposition was that was bubbling up as a major, major uh, news uh, talking point right up to COVID. COVID hits and all of a sudden, you know, the nurses and the doctors are heroes, right? Right. So it was an interesting confluence between, hey, hospitals cost too much, hospitals bad, to now hospitals heroes. And then meanwhile, nobody's really talking about the, the public option during the, you know, the 18 months or so. And, but it, it did, as we knew it would come back to the legislative floor recently. And it, it kind of changed the dynamic of the discussion a little bit, not entirely and not, not really the structural parts of the legislation that did pass, but, um, but it's, it also sort of from a communication standpoint, forced us to kind of look inward and say, all right, you know, what, if anything, should we be doing in terms of talking about our story on how we do what we do and why we do what we do. For example, yes, we see commercial insured, commercially insured patients, but at the same time, doing that allows us to actually um, provide hundreds of millions of dollars of uncompensated care a year. So it's sort of a yin yang. We need to do this right. so that we can do this. And we didn't want to be cut so deeply that we, it was going to impact our uncompensated care and our underserved population service. And so that was, that became kind of the, the topic of, of, of discussion. So we're having this discussion at the same time, all the COVID stuff is going on Yeah, and it made for some interesting news stories. I will say that. Um, yeah, for sure. That's why it's, it's, you know, like you said, it's kind of unrelated because it was happening before. In fact, we were tracking this. We, we, we packaged it. We branded it. We call it the value crisis because we have been watching for up to about two years before COVID hit this increasing scrutiny on hospitals as the black hat when it comes to costs in healthcare. Um, not coincidentally often, you know, pointed at providers by payers or pharma who were the traditional villains. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. And it was getting, it was getting bad. So you would see like series after series in Axios or the wall street journal, the New York times, we said, look, we, there needs to be, there needs to be a discussion. That's not just about cost because that's missing the top part of that equation, which is the value that these systems provide in their community, just as you're describing. Mm -hmm. It often boils down to this patient got a bad bill or look how expensive this crutch is or whatever, and you're missing the bigger picture. COVID hits, to your point, everybody's heroes. And then about, I don't know, about this time last year, we said, here it comes again, because things were kind of slowing down before the big, you know, yeah. the big old boost we had in the winter. Um, now, of course, we have the law that hit in January about pricing transparency. You have mm -hmm. the administration now actually really doubling down on that, increasing potential fines. You know, there's there's stories you see it in TikTok. So 
this isn't going away. In fact, it's probably going to get worse in terms of that kind of scrutiny. And I think what you've described is the right kind of conversation. It's like, yes, there's there's this issue, there's this issue, but we need to think about this holistically and what we provide in the communities we serve. We can't forget that. Uh, and hopefully COVID has reminded everybody that role, the role that hospitals and health systems play. Yeah, I, that, that's kind of what we hope too. I mean, the dialogue's happening simultaneously. They just might be two separate news stories, but yeah. you know, we're talking to the same reporter on two separate topics entirely and the tone and tenor is quite a bit different. So it's, it is an interesting um, comparison um, and it's very real time. It's very dynamic, but I think, again, the good part of that is that did it give us, did COVID give us a bigger seat at the table to have those discussions with policymakers? M maybe. You never really know when you're talking yeah. politics, but maybe. At the very least, I think it put a highlight on those frontline providers and the important roles that they play in times of crisis. Yeah. And, and I, that can't be understated. So that's, that's, you know, we're learning as we go on how to try to manage communications on all those levels. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Is there anything you want to wrap up with? Anything that you felt we haven't talked about or you think is important for folks to kind of hear about what you guys have absorbed over the last you know year and a half and are taking away from it? I think, um, I, again, going back to having a better understanding, we understood, we, you know, we understood our patients before, but really, really understanding, um, I think, what the public is going through, what individuals are going through has been eye opening for us. And moving forward from here on out, um, that's the lens that we're going to look through. Not, not that everything that we do from here on will be a uh, reaction to crisis, but, but the learnings that you take from when the chips are really down. And, you know, as a society, we've never dealt with this before in our in my lifetime. Right. Um, I mean, I wasn't born in, I mean, I wasn't alive in 1918, so I can't say. That's right. But, but I, you know, this is, this is a good time to get better at our jobs. And to, to, to get better at messaging um, and to learn to be as uber transparent as you possibly can. You can't not be anyway. You can't avoid direct dialogue on social media. Um, so I think this will end up making us uh, more empathetic and better at what we do. And, and I'm sure I'm speaking to the choir for a lot of people that are watching this as well. I'm sure they've experienced very similar things. Yeah, that probably it's just always good to kind of, you know, we, we cover a lot of the same ground on this show because super important lessons, super important things. And we just don't want to forget them. And it's always good to hear some of this again, even if it isn't new. But I, I really appreciate you coming on, Brad, because I think you were really open and authentic about some of the stuff you guys have learned and it really important and how it's going to shape how how you and others move forward. So Thanks so much for agreeing to, to, to be on the show. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. And again, thanks for having me. Yeah, and someday maybe we can have a drink and reminisce about our, our, our early days in journalism since we both started with a journalism degree and then quickly moved right away from that. I think that would be a fun conversation. Chase, thank you, sir. Of course, enjoy the conversation as well. Yeah, if there's something you'd like us to cover and you're with us live, put it in the comments section. Uh, if you are listening to this on a podcast or on, on the recording that we have on our website, you can always shoot us an email at nonormal at thinkrevivehealth.com. Remember to visit our website, thinkrevivehealth.com slash no dash normal for recording the show tomorrow. Check out the episode on iTunes and Spotify. 
And as always, good luck out there in the no normal. Until next week, thanks for joining. <laughs>